This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today we're going to be talking about investing during uncertainty. So here's the thing, as of the time that I am recording this, we have an uncertain presidential election, we have an uncertain Senate. I don't know how long it's gonna take for both of those races to play out or what the outcome of those is gonna be. But what I do know is that many investors have a heightened level of emotion surrounding this. So I wanna talk about what are strategies that you can use during times of uncertainty so that your emotions don't derail your investment planning. So let's talk about a couple of things in terms of statistics, because really if it's important to talk about, there's probably some numbers surrounding it. So here's the thing, according to a most recent Google analysis, there is a average of 3% loss per year for the average investor due to emotional decision-making in their investments. So what that means is, on average, non-emotional investors are making 3% more and people reacting emotionally with their investment decisions are making on average 3% a year less. Over the long run, that's a massive difference. That's a huge difference on what that can be for you in terms of what your portfolio might grow to. So harnessing your emotions and taking them out of the decision-making process when it comes to your investments is very important. The other thing that this study said is that during times of high stress, which arguably we may be in one right now, (laughs) but during times of high stress, the losses that people have because of emotional investment decisions move up from 3% to a loss of 6 to 7% of what they could have obtained in a normal market setting. So emotional investing can really erode the performance of your portfolio, and that's really what we want to move away from. No doubt this uncertainty could be short-lived, could be long-lived. But if we look back at the year of 2020 and we think about how many days we've had uncertainty, it's not just connected to the election. We've had uncertainty with the pandemic. We've had uncertainty with lockdowns. We've had uncertainty with health and never has our wealth and our health been so closely intertwined before. There's, and this is on a global scale. This isn't just unique to us or somebody in our local region. This is everywhere that people are feeling this. One of the things that generally happens is when investors' emotions get tested because of uncertainty, markets start to tumble. They stumble, they tumble, whatever you wanna call that. And we usually see some downward pressure in the markets. And when that happens and people start seeing downward pressure on the markets, they start seeing their portfolio values go down, they get frightened. And then it makes you want to go sell your investments and not have that risk anymore. That's the type of emotional investing mistake that you really want to avoid. So one of the main strategies that I want to suggest that you do is that you just use news for information and not for your short-term or long-term investment decisions. 
Reacting emotionally to the news that's out there is not how you want to drive your long-term portfolio decisions. And this is where most people really start making mistakes that cost them potential return in their portfolio. So news is all around us. You may have your favorite station. It may be different than your neighbor's favorite station, but news is information. It's not necessarily personal to you or personal enough to you that it should drive your long-term investment decisions. The next thing that I want to say about this is the more that you can remove your personal feelings from your investment decisions, the better off and probably stronger that your investment decisions are. So there's a couple different ways that personal feelings can wind into this. And so let's talk about a little bit about what some of those are. One of them is personal fears of, oh my gosh, I don't wanna lose anything. Okay, if you really don't wanna lose anything, if you can't stomach any loss at all, you probably shouldn't have your money in something that has a big amount of exposure to the stock market. It's not aligning right with your investment risk tolerance, which we're gonna to touch on more in just a minute. Another way that people um, have their feelings drive them is that they get very emotionally attached to a specific investment. So hear me say this, you having personal feelings and attachment to a stock or a particular investment doesn't help you out because let me tell you, that stock, that investment, it doesn't have any feelings for you. <laughs> so that's a one-way feeling street and that means that it's not a good guide when it comes to making decisions about your portfolio. I can't even tell you how many times we've had people come into the office and say, well, I want to continue to hold these stocks because my dad did and he was a really good stock picker. And, and so I want to hold on to these stocks because of that. Or they'll say, I've had this stock for 45 years and so I'm never going to sell that. Now, it may or may not be a good idea to sell it or hold it, but it shouldn't be based on your personal history with it. It should be based on the potential for growth of that investment, whether or not it aligns with your risk tolerance level. And also, as you have shifted through stages in your life, does that investment still fit you where you are today? And last but not least, you have to wind the taxable impact of making any changes into that decision. So all that being said, the bottom line when it comes to your investment portfolio, especially during times of uncertainty, is to not let your emotions drive those decisions. I've even heard it said, and I kind of get a tickle out of this, I've even have heard it said that whatever your emotions are telling you to do with your investments, you probably should do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> of that. So if your emotions are clamoring saying sell, 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 that's probably fear-based, which means you probably should just step back and maybe not sell. And if your emotions are telling you buy, 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 because you think, oh, I'm missing out on opportunity. The market's cruising upwards and I'm missing out on opportunity. I better get in there and buy. I'm going to miss this opportunity. You might want to step back and rethink that and make sure that your decisions are aligning with your long-term perspective. Okay, that's 
quite a bit on the emotional intelligence of investing. And let me tell you, there are study after study after study about behavioral finance and emotional IQ connected to investing and things like that. But the bottom line is this, if you just try to not make your investment decisions connected to how you're feeling about the market in this moment, you're probably better off. Okay, couple other things then to think about when you are focusing on what to do. So let's say that you've scaled this mountain and you've overcome your own emotional, you know, connections to things and your emotions connected to your portfolio and you're, you're able to handle your feelings about any fears or missing out emotions with money. Well, how should you be investing, especially during times of uncertainty? Here's the thing. How you manage your investments should always be tied to your comfort level with risk, which is your risk tolerance level, and the time frame of when you are planning to utilize that money. Now, I've talked about this many times before, so any of you who've listened to me before have heard me say that. And I think it's kind of interesting. This is probably the fourth show that I've done this year that's connected to investing and emotions and uncertainty. (laughs) So that tells me why people are struggling with that because there's been so much of it this year. And it's not to be trifled with. But here's the thing, the basics of investing are understanding your risk tolerance level and thinking through when is the time that you're likely to utilize that piece of money. That's called your time horizon. The amount of time until you use it is your time horizon. So let's talk a little bit about some of these basics. Risk tolerance level means how much risk you're comfortable with. And there might be a different risk tolerance level for shorter term money that you're gonna use sooner versus longer term money that you're gonna use later. Not all of your money has to have the exact same risk tolerance level on it. And that's something that a lot of people don't get or don't think about. So that's something important to keep in the back of your mind that it doesn't all have to be the same. One size rarely fits all. Now, it may fit more in your accumulation years while all you're doing is amassing wealth, but when you start getting to within five to 10 years of your retirement age, that's when you really wanna start thinking about what's the money you're gonna use sooner rather than later, and you may want to have a bit more conservative risk tolerance level on the sooner money and a little bit more growth-oriented focus on the later money, but everyone's different. Everyone is unique, and so what works for you is not the same as what works for your neighbor or your brother or your golf buddy. So your risk tolerance is very personal. And I kind of think about it as the can you sleep at night test. So when you think about your investment portfolio, if you're losing sleep at night because you're worried about the losses, or if you're so afraid of what might happen to your portfolio, then that would indicate to me your risk tolerance level is lower than what your investments are positioned at. And maybe you need to think about pulling back those investments, risk a little bit, in order to be to the point where you can sleep comfortably at night no matter what the market is doing. Congratulations to Mary Stirk for being named three years in a row to the 2020 Forbes list for Best in State Wealth Advisors and Top Women Wealth Advisors. 
Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, where we're talking about investing during times of uncertainty. And never has there been a year that I can remember with so many different reasons for uncertainty that has been thrown at us as there is been in this year. It's just kind of crazy. So no wonder you might be feeling a little crazy about your investment portfolio. So we've talked a little bit about how to avoid emotional investing mistakes, which can absolutely create a situation where you miss out on earnings over the long run for your portfolio. We talked a little bit about understanding the basics of risk tolerance and the thinking about how to tie that to your time horizon. So the next thing I want to talk about is diversification. So this is an age old principle and diversification and asset allocation are truly just big fancy words for the concept of not having all your eggs in one basket. We all can understand that, right? Don't have all your eggs in one basket. We've heard that since we were children. Well, that goes for your investment portfolio as well. So there's a couple different things about diversification that I wanna talk about. One is, just because you have your money in several different holdings does not actually mean you are diversified. And I see this a lot of times when people have 401k accounts specifically, where they've picked different funds, but they're not really paying attention to the different funds being in the same asset class. So what's an asset class? An asset class is simply a segment of the market. So asset classes can be large cap, which means large company, can be mid cap, middle sized companies, small cap, international, things like that. Now, here's the thing that people don't always understand. Small cap is not your mom and pop corner grocery store. Small cap is anything under $2 billion of revenue. So I sincerely hope that Sterk Financial Services someday is a small cap company. <laughs> the second thing, mid cap is between two and 12 billion and large caps are kind of the names you know. They're above 12 billion in revenue. Those are big dogs, those are big companies. They have lots of money. Now, when you think about these asset classes, you also have to think about the risk of the asset classes. And as you get bigger in size, you tend to reduce your risk a little bit. That is simply because the large companies have a bigger market share, they have more money, and it's easier for them to survive volatility and maybe even take over the market share of some of the smaller companies. And so that's why they tend to be a little bit less risky. Now that does not mean no risk, it just means less risk. Okay. There's also different styles that any of those sizes can come in. There's a growth style and there's a value style. Growth means that the companies are positioned for growth. They think that their stock value is going to go up because of the plans they have for running their company and growing in the future. Value companies are totally different. They tend to be a little bit undervalued. They tend to have had something happen which has driven their stock price down hopefully temporarily, and a value company buy is something where you're buying something at an undervalued rate and hopefully holding it back up to its correct value. Now there's also a category called blend or sometimes it's called core. And that usually is just a smorgasbord of growth and value kind of all in the same place. <laughs> so it blends them all together, which is sometimes why it's called blend. 
Now all of those three sizes, small, mid, large, can come in all of those three styles, growth, value, blend. And then you throw in international, you throw in some specialties or some sector funds. Sector funds are funds that are invested in a certain sector of the economy. So a sector could be something like financial services companies or healthcare companies or energy companies, technology companies, things like that. Those are sectors. But all of these different things that I'm talking about are asset classes that you may want to have a portion of your money in. How much? Well, you know what? That goes right back to that risk tolerance that I was talking about. The higher amount of risk you're comfortable with, the more money you're going to have in stock market-based or market-based equities. So equities are stocks. Those are the things that go up and down as the market gets more volatile, right? And all of these different asset classes have money like that positioned. There's also asset classes that are bond asset classes, and those are totally different than the stock-related ones. The bond-related ones are broken down into terms of quality and duration. Duration means the amount of time until the bonds inside them are going to mature. So you can have limited, meaning kind of short-term, you've got intermediate, kind of middle time, and then long-term. So those are the three asset classes that bonds are broken down into for time or duration. And then you've got quality. You basically got high quality, mid quality, and low quality. Now you might ask yourself, well, why would anybody ever want a low quality bond? Well, low quality bonds sometimes may pay higher interest because that's the only way they could attract investors to put money into them. So there's a reason for some people to potentially use that asset class. So how much did you have in bonds in these asset classes? Well, again, that all goes back to your risk tolerance level. There is a science behind the magic of figuring out how to break your money up into the right asset classes. And I'm not gonna get too technical about that. I'm just gonna say there's a method to the madness and it starts with figuring out your risk tolerance level and then working with someone who understands the science behind it, somebody who understands modern portfolio theory to help you position your portfolio into the asset classes in a way that aligns with your risk levels for that piece of money. Now, that does sound like a lot, and for some people that's super overwhelming. And you know what, that's why people like me exist, is to help you with stuff like that. <laughs> that's why we have financial planners, that's why we have investment advisors, and people like that is because we love doing that kind of stuff, and many people hate doing that kind of stuff. So if this is not your cup of tea, this is a time to reach out to one of our financial advisors here at Sterk Financial and let us help you figure out how to set up your diversification in a way that aligns with your risk level and the time frame that you're planning on spending that money. And then that will help you eliminate some of those staying up at night worries that you have that will help you potentially sleep better at night if you know you have your money diversified and allocated in a way that you're comfortable with that risk. Okay, the next thing that I want to talk about is um, about taking the long view. So there's a lot of people who are making decisions with big chunks of their portfolio right now based on the short view. The short view might be something that is the next few weeks 
the next few months, maybe we can even say the next four years. This is a very contentious election. And as we can see already from the vote that's out there, we have a very divided country in terms of how people feel about things. And most people understand that the elections, the contention, the social unrest that out, is out there, it might have some effect on the market, but markets fundamentally are driven by the health and the money-making capabilities of the companies that are in the market. That's what we have to remember. So an undecided on election, that might just be a very small blip in your history as an investor when you look back on this five, 10, 20 years later. You know, we had an uncertain election back in 2000 when it was Bush versus Gore. And a lot of people remember that whole hanging chads thing, <laughs> but we don't remember how long it took to get a decision on who was going to be the next president of the United States. We also don't tend to just remember what happened in the market during that time. Well, let me tell you, it took until December 12th of that year for the presidency to be decided. And guess what? During that time, that little over a month, the market was volatile and it moved downwards with its volatility. So what does that tell us? It tells us that the markets don't like uncertainty. Okay, we all can understand that. What else does it tell us is 10, 15, 20 years later, that month in the market really didn't mean anything unless you made an emotional mistake, unless you pulled your money out at the bottom. But if you stayed invested once the decision came in, then we saw markets begin to recover and move forward again. So keep in mind that taking the long view really is an important driver for your investment portfolio. Taking the short view starts to feel a lot like market timing and market timing does not tend to work for people. <laughs> so I hope this has been really valuable in, in you kind of coping with your thinking about investing during uncertainty. Undoubtedly, there's gonna be uncertainty for a while. And if it's not gonna be election-based uncertainty, it's gonna be based on what is the president gonna do in the next four years? How is the pandemic gonna end? What else might hit us that we can't even see happening out there in the world right now? But the bottom line is this, investing during times of uncertainty is something that can still work for you if you take those emotional decisions out of it, if you focus on the long view, if you've got your risk tolerance and your time horizons dialed in, and if you're feeling uncomfortable about any of that, this is a great time to reach out and talk to one of the financial advisors here at Stirk Financial to help give you some guidance and be a resource for you to help you through that. So thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can ensure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. 
Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Insurance offered through Sterk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated. Neither Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated nor its representatives provide tax or legal advice. You should consult a qualified attorney or tax professional to answer your specific questions. Sterk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dunes, South Dakota, 57049 and can be reached at 605-217-3555. Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors list includes 10 recipients per state. The award is based on qualitative and quantitative data, rating thousands of wealth advisors with a minimum of seven years of experience and weighing factors like revenue trends, assets under management, compliance records, industry experience, and best practices. The award is not based on portfolio performance or client reviews. There is no fee in exchange for rankings. Third-party rankings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation.